worked very, very, very closely uh, also when she was with us. Uh, so I'm excited. Yes. And I see Fran Jefferson also, who yes. had, had I worked very, very closely before, too. So I'm looking forward to work with, working with all of you. And um, I'm very, very excited. I know that I have a lot to learn. And also, I could make some contribution with um, some of my um, expertise. Thank you so much. Well, we all welcome you and uh, look forward to working with you over your uh, three-year term here. So Thank you. Um, uh, with that, we now move into the public comment portion of, of the evening. As a reminder, this Board of Trustees welcomes uh, public comment. Uh, our mantra is all feedback is a gift. Uh, uh, so with that, uh, a couple of notes on public comment for all speakers. One, you need to officially inform the clerk of the board that you would like to make a public comment before the start of the meeting. Second, public comment can be made for specific agenda items or for non-agendized items. If it's for a specific agendized item, we'll hold that public comment till right before that item. If it's just a general public comment, we'll usually do that right here. Generally speaking, the time limit is up to three minutes per speaker. However, we'll adjust any time limits if there are a large volume of speakers. Madam Clerk, are there any public comments set for this evening? No one has officially noticed. No one has noticed us for public comment. Okay. With that, we'll move to item A, which is an action item. It's a resolution uh, in brief to continue teleconferencing. Um, before I uh, uh, entertain a motion, Council, can you make some comments on the state of this uh, 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 in California? Yeah, thank you, Chair Burkett. So at this point in time, the governor still has not uh, raised the, um, lifted the emergency order. Uh, there are talks that he will be lifting it at the end of February, but it's it's not uh, confirmed. But okay. that's what we're looking at, uh, the you know, last day of February being the day where he lifts. Unless we hear otherwise. Unless we Therefore, we, uh, we can continue in a teleconference fashion uh, through February, through February, but March would probably require us to be at least the trustees uh, uh, in, in, in readily available within the context of this point, right? Uh, That's it. Taft, Sir. Uh, President Biden just extended the federal emergency through the end of March in the last day, so I think there might be some pressure on Governor Newsom to do the same. Okay. Thanks for that heads up. Yeah, that's a great heads up. And this, this is just giving the trustees and our audience context for uh, uh, in-person versus virtual meeting. I think the future of us is to at least in some portion continue in virtual. It's, it's given access and then we'll, we'll, we'll stay within the confines of the law, Counselor. So with that, may I entertain a motion to approve item A? I'll move. Second. Uh, uh, roll call, Trust, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Wonderful. We're moving through our agenda. Item A. Let's go to item B, which is usually reserved for the executive office report, but this is the our annual meeting. And, and the big to-do of our annual meeting is to remind everybody that we elect our Board of Trustees officers on an annual basis. So we do that again tonight. Let me kick off uh, this evening uh, uh, by saying we're gonna accept nominations. 
four positions, and then we're gonna vote on them tonight. I would like to kick it off by nominating trustee Kinkinnery Banerjee to be the next uh, Board of Trustees president for this, uh, for this group of trustees. I'll now entertain any I'll, I'll second that. Uh, uh, sir, I'm gonna hold these and nominate an entire slate. I, I heard that. Are there any other nominations for any other officer positions? I, I would like to nominate Trustee Jen Esteen for Vice President of the Board. So we have a nomination for the President and a Vice President. Do we have any other nominations? At this time, um, we... Yes, we can uh, At this time, we would love to have had a slate ready uh, with the Secretary of the Board. <laughs> Uh, but we, uh, uh, none of the current board members, have, I think everyone's plates are full and uh, will not be running for office. And one of our um, incoming board members who hasn't been formally appointed yet, we've been from the Alameda Healthcare District, David Sion, who's been uh, appointed by the Healthcare District to be the representative on the board. Uh, has agreed to when he's appointed to be secretary. So that is one uh, one election appointment that we might have to do where in the February meeting, but we have these two off. So excellent. So we will we, we have an anticipated slate for this evening. The slate includes a, 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 a nomination for trustee Kinkin Banerjee for board president, trustee Jennifer Esteen for vice president. The, the secretary treasurer position is vacant as of this evening, but there's an anticipated plan for that. Given that, can I entertain a motion to approve this slate, Trustee Splendorio? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I will second all those motions. How's that? Yes, okay. sir. How's that? Uh, yes, sir. I, I, I think that holds. So uh, council nodded, so that's fine. <laughs> so I guess this vote is sort of like this, this uh, Approval is a vote, so let's roll call this. Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye, with gratitude. <laughs> Trustee Elagacion. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. The motion passes, and now this is President Banerjee's meeting. Thank you very much. And let's go to item B2. Item B2. I have a few words if, if the board would indulge. I, I highly recommend that we don't have any words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I uh, you know, um, thank you, Dafton. Thank you, Board of Trustees, for your confidence in me. And welcome, Trustee Obligacion. We are so fortunate that you agreed to serve on this board. I'm thrilled to have uh, Trustee Esteen as my vice chair, and we look forward to having this amazing uh, board. Uh, Trustees uh, Blue and Jensen will be missed, but we have strong, strong leaders, and your skills are really important. I um, want to extend <coughs> And deep gratitude to Taft. Taft, thank you for your committed, fearless leadership throughout your tenure, and especially during these two years as chair. Taking on this responsibility, in addition to your full schedule of physician, chief of GI, and all other leadership roles, 
You partnered with a new CEO, James Jackson, a brand new board of trustees, and with our county leaders and other leaders across the system to steward AHS at a time of organizational transition and tumult. This was a Herculean obligation and you were the leader AHS needed, thanks to the dedicated effort of every member of that phenomenal Alameda Health System team and our partners. Today we are stable, we are intact, we are resilient and getting stronger by the day. Huge thanks to this beloved, committed community of trust, trustees who inspire and guide us. For, for the trustees here, just to remind, you know, sometimes we forget our personal and professional lives are overflowing. Despite our all-consuming day jobs and our community obligations, your participation on this board is really a labor of love and embodiment of your passion for AHS's vision and mission. For the past two years, each one of you has gone above and beyond your board committee assignments to serve on numerous work committees. So just, I and most, and last but not the least, it's a thrill to be partnering with you, James. I look forward to a high trust collaborative <coughs> partnership with uh, James, each member of the board, our ELT, county leaders and external partners, and our phenomenal staff who are the lifeline of this organization. So really looking forward to like transparency, authentic engagement will be priorities as we strengthen our internal culture and we are a largely operational board. So in partnership with you, James, with the leadership here, with our executive uh, committee and our, um, and our each trustee, I will strive to design our full board meeting to have more space for strategic conversations so that we are, you know, going to have those be able to look at long-term, mid-term and have learn about the emerging landscape as well. Uh, there are many other aspects of excellent governance we will be speaking about, but later during the board. And one thing, I know that we'll be speaking about this later, but if uh, this is something that in our strategic plan we made kind of clear is that if AHS has to meaningfully advance health equity, our focus on prevention has to be laser sharp. And so hopefully during this foundational year of building out a, a strategic plan of implementing it or a living adaptable strategic plan our board will partner closely with james with uh, you mark with all every member of our elt and all of our leadership throughout the facilities to bring focus on our ambulatory goals and our community-centered priorities and goals and uh, thank you again i want to invite vice chair Esteem to offer your thoughts and following that, I want to make sure we open up our lines for gratitude to our outgoing chair, Dr. Bouquet. Thank you so much, Chair Bouquet, Chair Banerjee. I have to get used to saying new names now. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Taps, for your service. You were an excellent chair and uh, led with great clarity. It's really uh, I feel like even just moving from secretary of the board into vice chair of the board, I have a lot that I still have to learn. And um, when I entered this board, it, I came following the strike, following a lot of change and in a period of really deep transition here at the health system. Um, 
and also for me personally, this was this was a big step. I had to keep my thinking cap on and uh, started off chairing the finance committee, which is a big surprise. Fortunately, uh, this move is not a big surprise, and I feel like I am well aware of how much it will take to to do this work um, and the partnership that it will take with the leadership of the organization, with the line staff of the organization, with you as the former chair of the board and everyone who is a part of the AHS community, including our patients that we serve day in and day out and the people who provide the care. So I look forward to uh, helping to uh, steward as much as we can as, as board members, as trustees, so that we can do exactly what the CAPH, uh, the California Association of Public Hospitals, recommends as it regards to prevention and ongoing care. I look forward to using best practices to always guide us and being the strategic partner and operational board that we are, um, I think that we can serve a great purpose in partnership with the executive leadership. So I'm excited for this opportunity and follow in your footsteps path and the footsteps of so many others who uh, have done great things to make sure that this system has been around for 157 years. And hopefully we will leave it better than we found it. Um, that's always the goal. So thank you for leaving it better than you found it, Tab, and uh, passing it on to us. We appreciate you so much. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Trustee Chapman. Um, hi, good evening. Uh, just wanted to say congratulations to our incoming president and vice president and to our uh, outgoing president, um, Dr. Bouquet, I just wanted to say thank you for all of your leadership and your guidance over the years. Uh, you and I worked together before I even came on the board. And one of the reasons that I came on the board was because of a conversation that you and I had just about the passion and the work that AHS has done. <clears throat> so I just wanted to acknowledge and say how much I appreciate you. And um, I just, I, I wish you all the best. I know you're going to stay on the board and be a participant, but I just wanted to publicly acknowledge the appreciation that I have for your leadership and guidance. And I look forward to working with um, the new president and vice president as well. Thanks. Thank you, Trustee Chapman. Trustee Splend is next. Well, thank you very much, Kinney. And um, I wanna recognize Taft and the outgoing uh, executive committee, but mostly Taft because, you know, he's a practicing physician. He was, as far as I could tell, he attended every committee, mm -hmm. even every board meeting. And uh, just remind people that um, he's a father and a husband. And uh, <clears throat> I'm hoping that um, your kids still recognize you. And, <laughs> and so does your, your spouse. Thank you, Trustee Splendoria. Um, Trustee Fox. Trustee Fox. Um, well, I agree with everything everyone has said. Congratulations, uh, Trustee Banerjee, on becoming our new president. And Taft, you've been a phenomenal leader. In addition to everything else that has been said about you, I think you've been very tempered, uh, very calm, um, and very fair. And you're very perceptive about how to deal with all the members 
the, at, at all the different levels of the uh, community of our employees and management and medical staff and contracted physicians. Um, uh, it's just been an honor to watch you practice this art. Haven't seen you practice medicine, but um, I'm sure you're outstanding at that too. So thank you on behalf of the whole board for all the blood, sweat, tears, time, sleepless nights, uh, and and many other things that we're not aware of that you have done on our behalf and on behalf of AHS. Thank you, Trustee. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Friedman. Uh, ditto to everything. Thank you to Jen and Kinkinney for stepping up and having had many conversations with Taft. I know what a big commitment it is that you're making. And uh, I don't wanna repeat what's been said, but just to make the one comment that uh, Taft, you do everything you do with a tremendous amount of grace, patience, warmth, and empathy, and really model a uh, very humanistic leadership. Thank you. Yeah, um, I want to say the same thing, um, you know, the commitment and dedication. I spoke to Taft last night, you know, um, I'm really like impressed of the commitment and dedication, the time that he put in. So um, thank you so much. And for the our incoming president and uh, the vice president, uh, yes, it's a it's a huge commitment. So I'm really happy that you guys are stepping up. And so just looking forward to be working with, with all of you. So um, we appreci I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Trustee of us. You know, we're going to need, need the help. And we're so, so grateful that Taft continues to be on the board and will be supporting us. Excuse me, Madam Chair. Um, uh, Michael Gomez has his hand up. Oh. oh yeah. Michael, go ahead. Yeah, Trustee Banerjee, Chair Banerjee, thank you so much for recognizing me. For those who uh, I haven't met, um, I'm the co-chair of the, the Health System Foundation. And on behalf of all of my uh, fellow board members on the foundation board, I would like to acknowledge and thank Chair Bouquet for his tremendous service and his um, uh, great commitment to the foundation uh, over, over the many years that he's been uh, with the health system. He's been a uh, a, a remarkable uh, sort of contributor to our events, a donor to our, uh, our our various causes, and we really congratulate him and thank him for the tremendous service he's done as chair of the uh, uh, of the board during this last uh, you know very eventful year during the pandemic. Um, I'd also love to uh, 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 sort of congratulate you, Trustee Banerjee, on your uh, election as president. Um, you have um, really uh, sort of inspired us at the foundation with your commitment to health equity. Uh, health equity is now a central component of everything we're doing at the foundation in terms of the programs that we're emphasizing um, in alignment with James and um, uh, working with the trustees as closely as we can. Uh, all of us on the, on the foundation board look forward to working with you and, and uh, trustee Esteen uh, in, in the year ahead to uh, make sure that we're aligned and as I say, your commitment to health equity has really energized a lot of what we are doing now. We're so grateful for the work that you've done, the support you've given us, the uh, tremendous uh, financial as well as uh, emotional moral support you've given us in our 
campaigns in San Leandro and throughout the, uh, our, our, our activities and really look forward to working with you and the rest of the board in the year ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, Michael. And we are looking forward to an even stronger partnership with the foundation. We know lots of exciting things happening at that end. Um, anyone else? I don't see anyone. It would be awesome to move to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, did, uh, I, I had some. Uh, I want to end with oh, uh, some. Oh, Dr. Swift just raised her hand. Oh, I'm uh, sorry, Dr. Go ahead, Dr. Swift. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. I, I'm so sorry, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to also appreciate, offer my gratitude uh, first to Trustee Bouquet. Um, we have been colleagues for so long. I can attest you are an amazing physician. You've taken care of my patients, my family. I marvel at your tremendous capacity for being great at so many things. Such a great teacher, such an amazing clinician, and uh, such an amazing leader. Thank you so much for leading us in such a difficult time and um, for your commitment, unwavering to safety, uh, quality, and to lifelong learning. Um, I just wanted to offer my gratitude also, I wanted to offer congratulations and gratitude to Trustees um, Banerjee and Trustee Esteem. Um, this is a historic moment. I think uh, Trustee Banerjee may be uh, the first um, sort of first generation immigrant female to serve as a board chair for AHS. I think it's incredible. And I have observed that this, you know, this is your, you've been on the board for a long time and we're personally invited back. Um, and I, I just think we've heard, we've learned, you know, the IHI has said there can be no quality without equity. And I think we're perfectly poised to build on the hard work of Trustee Bouquet and the, uh, the board to really center, continue to center equity in all of our operations and our care. And as I think about those children and babies that were born, this month in our birthing centers and the potential for us to impact three generations, you know, their parents, these children, their children, um, uh, to make that next set milestone that Trustee Esteen talked about in, in this, this organization's um, history. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dr. Swift. Um, I uh, and and thank you for lifting up uh, my you know my own journey over here. Like to think that I'm now the chair of the board in the 159th year of AHS's evolution, and in some ways it feels like coming home, even though my journey began so far away and across so many continents. So you know, thinking about my parents' sacrifices and the abiding love of folks, but the leap of faith that makes that first generation cross and come here with a hope and a dream. So, and all, you know, grateful for my abundant community, but also I wanted to feel immense gratitude for Supervisor Chan, whose vision, passion, service, and legacy really continues to inspire and guide me every single day. So, with that, I think we close. Thank you again, Chair Abukit. We close item B1 and move on to item B2, which is the board 
committees and chairs. So thanks again. As for our board bylaws, the chair um, makes the appointments for the committees, and so we can, um, there will be a few shifts, and um, we can go over those. So, uh, again, deep appreciation for the trustees who have chaired committees last year and will continue to steward again this year. So, starting with the Audit and Compliance Committee, held on the third Wednesday quarterly, except for um, November when we will be having it on a Tuesday. But uh, we thank you, Trustee Friedman, for um, agreeing to chair that. Um, we know that um, I have spoken with Jed Chapman and uh, Trustee Chapman, we understand that you would like to drop from that committee. And uh, thank you, uh, Trustee Obligacion, who's going to be on the committee. So. Right now, the roster will be Chair Friedman, uh, Trustee Obligacion, uh, Trustee Splendorio, um, and um, I as the ex officio over there. Staff, I'm presuming that you would like to drop from audit and compliance? Um, quite frankly, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. so you're on every committee, so yes. think about it as we go. I would certainly like to drop some committees. <laughs> I'm happy to discuss that with the new chair at, at, at a future date. Okay, wonderful. Um, at this point, the special executive committee will be uh, Jen Esteen, myself, and a, a great gratitude to Trustee Friedman for saying he can be the fourth member or third member of the executive committee as needed. So we will. Um, take that help from you when we can. Um, for Finance Committee, um, thank you, Trustee Fox, for continuing, for willing to be, continue being chair of that committee. Uh, Trustee Esteen, you are on it, on that right now. Uh, Trustee Friedman is on it. Trustee Splendorio is on it. And Trustee Obligacion, you had mentioned that you would like to serve on finance as well, right? So. Audit and finance will be trustee obligation. So did we have that? I am. Um, I, we have Dak here, but he will decide later on which committee. <laughs> will be on. Uh, for the Human Resource Committee, which is an quarterly committee, which meets again on the third Wednesdays, uh, we have a schedule. We'll say thank you, Trustee Chapman, for willing to step up and chair this committee. As we know, Trustee Blue was uh, the chair of that. And with her stepping off the board, we had a vacancy for chair. And we are thrilled that Trustee Chapman will be chairing this. At this time, Trustee Esteen, Trustee Bukit, and I are the other members of this committee. <laughs> Moving on to Quality and Professional Services Committee. Um, we presume there's only one and only one person who can chair this committee. So, Trustee Bouquet, will you be continuing to chair? I would like to start off as chair and then talk about potential transitions. We've, we've, I've been the chair for five years now. I'm willing to entertain discussion. We have a nurse who's, who sits on the QPSC. We've never had a nurse chair the QPSC. I think it's an interesting discussion. Happy to have that as we advance through the year. Wonderful. That's but I'm happy to start off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. At this point, we have Taft, 
uh, Trustee Esteen, myself on this committee, and we hope that uh, uh, our ninth uh, board member, who we hope will join soon, will be or will serve on this committee as well. So we have some ad hoc committees, and we do have um, Trustee Fox. Are you uh, will you continue to be on the retirement plans and investments? Yes. Thank you for that. Um, and we have. An, uh, a committee where we have a board liaison, which is the Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. I'm on that committee, but in the past, we've had two board members on it. So anyone else who is willing to, um, is interested in participating, we could speak with the chairs, Dr. Swift and Arlene Gomez, to see if we can, um, if there's, um, if that, that could be accommodated. So looks like those are the, committees. This is the makeup of the permanent committees of the board. And just note that we are waiting the appointment of one trustee position. Um, and we have a few other items um, that are uh, ad hoc committees which come up as necessary. And so we will be working on that. So that ends. Madam Chair. Uh, remember that there's going to be a, uh, a committee with the Alameda Healthcare District, the former seismic committee, the Alameda Healthcare District with uh, out the Board of Trustees. I, maybe you mentioned I missed it. The strategic planning Yes, committee? did you already talk about that? I, I did not. I did not. Trustee Friedman has agreed to be one of uh, the members of that board, I mean, of the, one of the representatives. Excellent. And, and the incoming trustee, given association with the district, yes. will probably be the other. Um, so I think uh, those those meetings are sort of starting. So that's one thing that we can populate here because it doesn't currently have any names. That's terrific. I don't know if it's, yes, I think it's titled Strategic Planning Committee. Uh, it's January 26th. Yes, sir. Okay. So, and then, is there a San Diego Strategic Planning Committee involved? There, there was. It was, on, it's on hiatus. Okay, so we don't need any vote. Uh, okay. Perfect. Any questions? No. All right, so we close out item B2 and move on to B3, which is the action and discussion of the board calendar. And um, so as we know, the uh, you can see a memo by Rana, thank you for the memo, which, uh, you know, one of our tasks at this meeting is to approve the schedule of the meetings of the permanent committee for the for the year. And the memo from Rana talks about the cadence of the meetings. And uh, we, at this point in time, we have the meeting start at 5.30 in the evening. Um, I know that in the past, uh, Trustee Friedman, you had mentioned that if we were to move in person, you would uh, prefer an early start. Is that a concern that, that, that you would like to discuss now? No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have anything to add. Okay, excellent. I, the okay. problem is sometimes if you move the meetings earlier, they still go as they used to just because the way things happen. But if we could start earlier and end earlier, that would be fantastic. Would it, uh, at this point in time, given that we are in more, we do start with the 5.30. Um, 
time. Did you say that you would like to start earlier <clears throat> or no? If we were going to quit earlier. <laughs> if we were going to quit. Okay. Um, I think it's called Parkinson's law. The work expands to fill the time. <laughs> right. Well. I, but I would prefer five o'clock. If we could go even a half an hour, I think it would be good. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, you know, a day job that typically doesn't stop until five, but uh, I can, I'm sure that I can figure out a way to make space so that if we were meeting in person, I could still be there at five o'clock. But, so, you know, I know that 5.30 does help with the commute hour and all of that, but I could figure it out. Just want to raise that. Thank you. Is that something that we could uh, agree to do? Because if we could, uh, I heard you say if we could start half an hour, if we could uh, start at 5. I serve at the leisure of is the there time. Is there agreement for that? Is there willingness to start um, 5 o'clock? Okay, so we will. This is an action item, um, and the calendar uh, tells you the schedule of the meeting. Though, Madam Chair, may I make one amendment? To the sure, sure. Look, uh, on the November, apologies, yes, yes, the, the, the November oh. QPSC is uh, on this calendar is November 15th. This actually makes it more difficult for the med staff in their cycle to credential. So, uh, the proposal is to move it to the Wednesday after Thanksgiving instead of before Thanksgiving. Okay. That would be Wednesday, November 29th. Okay. That's the fifth Friday of the month. That's, but we do have a five Friday. We have a five Friday uh, month. So that would be one request mm -hmm. as an amendment to this. Okay. So to make the, it the last Wednesday of the month rather than uh, the before Thanksgiving. Okay. And then uh, November is also the month where the audit and compliance, usually it's on the third of Wednesdays on a quarterly basis, but uh, we the external audit has to be approved by the audit meeting before it comes to the full board. So for that one month, it is on a Tuesday just before the full board meeting so that the audit committee gets to see that. So please note those dates. And another note that we have, for especially for our new trustee, we have two all-day retreats, one usually in the spring, one in fall. Um, and we have a couple of joint meetings between the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Trustees. So this calendar has the permanent board meetings uh, scheduled, but does not include the retreats and the joint meetings. And we will be working, coordinating on those dates. Just for clarity, um, Madam Chair, are we changing the starting times of the committees also to 5 o'clock? Or just the board. I the will be will, is the committee going to be any? Uh, I think we should do the same thing for everything. Or does each committee have? Uh, can each committee decide its own schedule? So uh, Chair Fox, and, and I'm sorry, Chair Banerjee and Trustee Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought we were finance committee. Sorry. Um, so it's less important to get the committees down today because you can. Uh, you can adjust. have a adjust later on, but for the full board, you have to have the full board today. Okay. okay. I, I have a question. Could we get staff input on the proposed change to five? Is that better for staff, worse, or about the same? 
We had some nods from the staff. No, yeah. I think our staff seems pretty all right with that. So with that, okay. yeah. yeah I'm trusting will, Fox. If it means ending earlier. Yeah. It, it must mean ending earlier. That that will be our Yes. So, you know, that, I, I do want to raise one issue about the, the earlier start and that, you know, we've had a very quiet public comment opening for the majority of our meetings over the last couple of years. But a later start does make space for regular working people who might want to join the meeting. You know, our meetings are super exciting and we bring a mm -hmm. lot of benefit and having people from the public participate does get challenging, especially as we move into being in person more and uh, trying to make things and maintain equity and accessibility. So I, I do, I feel like it's important. I can't just speak about myself being a working person without, you know, stating the obvious, which is that we are a public facing board or public facing institution. And we have to make sure that we are always doing our best to include members of the public and the people we serve as we figure out logistics. You know, as far as equity is concerned, I think that's a, a paramount issue. Our convenience matters very little. When we think about our patients, it matters the most. Yeah. Thank you for that. And hopefully we'll open because we, we, in the past, we've had our meetings at 4, 4 and 4.30 in 2018-19 and 20 as well. And we had robust public comments and we gave many opportunities for them. So if folks came late, they weren't precluded from doing that. So we might be able to work on that. So so then from my understanding, can I entertain a motion to approve the board calendar with the amendment for the QPSC and with a start date or uh, start time of five o'clock for the uh, full board meetings only? to approve the calendar for the year Audit and compliance with chaired by Dr. Trustee uh, uh, Friedman can also start at five. Uh, no, we've been starting at four. Oh, and four. we'll oh. continue to start at four because uh, I have a 5.30 uh, board meeting for my day job every third Wednesday. Thank you. I will four o'clock. So HR committee as well could start at five if if that's helpful. I can send a recap email out. Yeah. It's like, I'll update the roster and send it out to everybody. Here. <laughs> Heading home a little earlier. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. 
And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our CEO, uh, Mr. Jackson, for the CEO's report. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chair Banerjee. Um, I will share screen. presenter. Uh, great. <laughs> Thank you all for the opportunity to present and Happy New Year to those who I've not interacted with thus far in the new year. Very excited about what 2023 holds and uh, looking forward to working closely with uh, Chair Banerjee to continue to excel as an organization. Um, my report will be based on the pillars of the organization and so uh, that are in our strategic plan. So um, I have started my reports recently with a, a moment of gratitude, healthcare heroes. And these are cards. We've received hundreds of cards. And this is just one of many. Um, Mark Fratsky and his team have created displays, actually, that are at all of our facilities where we have posted similar cards. Um, with the intent of just making sure that our staff had the uh, the opportunity to see what was being said about us. Oh gosh, I didn't mean to move yet. So there it is. Um, what was being said to us by those who are in the community that we care for. And so as you can see here, this one reads, Dear Highland Hospital, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your selfless contributions during this worldwide crisis. I was unable, or excuse me, I was able to watch the documentary called The Waiting Room. And it was such an eye-opener. I don't think you guys get the accreditation you deserve. I'm here to tell you, I appreciate it, and I'll be keeping you all in my thoughts and prayers. And this person was writing this from Michigan. Um, so it was really kind of cool to see this when um, our impact certainly is in this community, but it's, it's broader than that. And people see us and they appreciate the work of this organization. Um, I wanted to take a moment to just recap um, Many of you will have seen some of these items in the memo that came out from my office at the end of the calendar year, but I wanted to just quickly go through some of the high points because I really think it's important to just make sure that we say in this forum, um, what is not here is we had the best fiscal year um, in the history of the organization, and we also were able to drive down our long-term debt to a level that has never been seen by this organization. So those are things that are not on, I'm not going to be sharing right now, but I did want to just acknowledge that. And that is a group effort, but it's led, I think, um, I have to acknowledge Kim Miranda, our chief financial officer for her deft um, work um, with our finances. But I will dive now into the accomplishments. And the first one is going back to our strategic plan, the completion and the implementation of our strategic plan, uh, which is called paving the way to excellence for all. This strategic plan, it's our roadmap. It's our guide to becoming a more patient-centered system of care that proactively addresses health equity, diversity, and inclusion, and partners with our staff, our medical staff, our patients, and our external stakeholders to ensure that we're providing quality care and promoting good health. The next item I'd like to emphasize is our completion of the first ever quality incentive program, also known as Quip audit of 2021 quality metric performance rates. Um, this um, included live virtual sessions, source code review, and countless hours of preparation for the audit process and deliverables. We are incredibly grateful to everyone who contributed to getting us through a successful audit. In addition, we're on track to reach 90% of the QIP metrics 
um, at goal by the end of our last year. And so now we've got to do the auditing on that, but it's terribly important and impressive that our team was able to do that. So we're projected to achieve full program funding this year with um, overperformance um, over the metrics. So very excited about that. Next is a system-wide implementation of the Nurse Quality Review Council. The, it's also known as the NQRC. And the NQRC is tasked to review issues in quality by frontline nursing staff and make systematic changes to ensure we're delivering safe care. In addition, in addition, our nursing has implemented rounding on 100% of our patients across our system. Um, so um, we are just um, very proud of the work and obviously Ro Lofton and her team are doing a fantastic job there. And I mentioned this just a moment ago, the implementation of the rounding on 100% of our patients across the system to hear from patients. That's something that we know we've got to do a better job of. And so we believe that this rounding um, will improve our patient experience. Implementation of a new sitter escal escalation process, which has dramatically decreased our sitter utilization system-wide. And then our beloved birth black centering program, which received the 2022 Quality Leader Awards top honor recently. I'm really proud to be at the event in Napa where this award was received. Um, Chair Banerjee, as well as um, trustee esteem were able to be present as well. And this was just terribly um, important. And I have to say, there were a lot of really strong, um, competent programs that were being recognized to essentially re were runners up to our beloved program. And so it was just really contextual to see with all of this great work going on, um, our beloved program was thought to be the, the, the best. I'm so terribly proud about that. Um, Kudos to Dr. Smith and his team for the work of the beloved program. Our information systems, um, also known as IS, received several external achievements recognizing the Alameda Health System as a leader in digital transformation. Those recognitions include achieving eight out of 10 EPIC gold stars and level eight CHIME, um, Digital Health Most Wired Program which conducts an annual survey to assess how effectively healthcare organizations apply core as well as advanced technologies into their clinical and business programs to improve health and healthcare in their communities. In addition, AHS was certified with the Health Information and Management Systems Society, which is called HIMSS, H-I-M-S-S, at stage six using the Electronic Medical Record Adoption Model, ERAM. ERAM is a model that harnesses technology to support optimized patient care reduce medication errors, and to achieve a nearly paperless environment. <clears throat> and then our medical group. Um, and Dr. Achilles Warren, who is the president of AHMG, has done a phenomenal job over the last year plus. And um, you can see that we've added um, a total of 60 physicians to our roster. So, you know, financially, that's a little bit tough because we got to pay them. But these are open positions, and we are constantly hearing and understanding that we do not have enough providers and we are overworking our existing providers. And so really proud of the work that AHMG has done to, to fill slots and to make sure that we have the ability to expand programs such as palliative care, rheumatology, anesthesia, neurology, and endocrinology. And we also have reduced turnover by 65%, improving morale, expanding family and mental health benefits to our hardworking physicians. I, um, I will move now to sustainability. And um, this is a slide that was prepared for our desktop chat, but I wanted to share it here because this really shows over the past 
now um, seven years, if you, um, by and large, how we have moved our um, patients' account receivable days as well as our collections. And so you can see that patient collections, which are the green bars, the vertical bars, our patient collections have gone up dramatically since 2016. Um, and the accounts uh, gross of patient um, accounts receivable days has also gone down. So you see it spiked as of 2019 December, but as, as of December 22, it's lower than it's been in, in recent memory. And so it's really a, a great confluence of how our, um, uh, our finance team is working to drive revenue and to make sure that our days outstanding in accounts receivable are minimized. So again, kudos to Kim and her team. This is a slide from the BEST program, and that's the Building um, Excellence, Sustainability, and Trust. Um, we're doing that with the support of the Huron team. And um, this is what they call the big board. And this is a, a summary slide, and you can see working left to right um, in the left column, you can see the, the five areas of primary work. And then moving to the right, you can see um, the low, middle, and high expectations in terms of what could be returned what the expected annualized uh, realized and then what's confirmed on the far right, or excuse me, confirmed. And so you can see that we are expecting to be over $61 million, which is in excess of what we'd anticipated the high benefit would be. We have confirmed $56 million thus far. So again, um, really strong work and this accrues directly to the bottom line and our ability to continue our mission. And this is just another graphic um, visualization of the combined estimated benefits. So you can see um, the total cumulative and the realized date, which is the gold bar, which is the upper bar, and it's projected. The dotted line show the projection moving forward. And so I'm, uh, again, very proud of the work that's being done by the, um, the BEST initiative. Moving to staff and physician experience, I did want to acknowledge, um, and this was an interesting conversation that took place today during our desktop chat, we are moving to installing metal detectors across our system. And um, you can see some of the rationale for that there, which I will not read to you. But the reality is um, we are in a polarized society and there have been attacks on healthcare providers, both locally and across the nation. Um, many organizations are moving towards installing metal detectors. Um, the conversation today that I found very interesting, one of our employees acknowledged that we were doing this and said she, they were concerned about the potential for um, the perceived criminalization of our clients, of the people we serve. And, and I, I would respectfully disagree. I believe that what we're doing is one consistent with the practice. And our job one is really to make sure that we have a safe environment for our providers, as well as for our, our patients to receive their care. And I would analogize this with a sporting event or an entertainment event that you go to, which also has metal detectors. And I don't think that there is perception that people who attend an A's game are being criminalized. It's to make sure that there's a safe environment for people to come and enjoy the event. And I think that that analogy would hold here. Um, I wish we lived in a world where this wasn't necessary, but the reality is uh, we do. And we will strive to always make sure that this is the safest environment possible for those that we serve and for those who provide care here. So you can see that we are now in phase one, which is installing the metal detectors. And um, we expect to have that work done by July of, um, I think it says 2022, but I think that was supposed to be 2023. <laughs> so sorry about that, just caught that typo. And then installing the metal detectors at the entrance of all entrances of a all high risk patient facing locations. 
mental entails installing metal detectors at the main entrances of our hospitals and wellness centers, and then phase three, installing TSA-style x-ray machines to scan the multitude of suitcases and bags entering our facilities. So I appreciate that this can be a polarizing uh, concept, but we do believe it's the best practice and it's the right thing to make sure that we have a, a safe environment for providing care. This pertains to the um, cultural transformation and specifically to the SCORE survey, the um, cultural safety survey that we've been doing. And so, as you can see, we're really proud as you move left to right. Um, we have 100% completion on the debriefs that were to be done by last June, um, the recording of the debriefing notes, the review and the reflection by the leaders, and then developing action and, and monitoring plans. And so now we're at the phase where we are actually implementing and then monitoring those plans. And so again, 100% completion. And to the far right, I'm really proud about this because you can see that there were 158 areas that were surveyed, but we actually um, are now looking at 192 different work settings. And that's because the leaders in some of the larger areas asked that their information be subdivided because they felt like there were distinctions within their working groups. And so they wanted to be able to really, in a micro way, drill down to the specific populations in the, and not treat them as a big macro group because there were different challenges in the different areas. And so that's why for 2023, we will see that 18% increase um, uh, to 192 areas. So again, really proud of the work that the team is doing um, and the fact that, you know, our staff, we're, we're listening to their voices and trying to create the work environment they deserve so that they can feel safe doing this work. This is a, just a bit of a roadmap. You can see that um, we are in the process of uh, doing the facility mapping, and then we will open the next survey um, at the end of February, and that survey will close in the third week of June. And so we're looking forward, and hopefully we will continue to see positive results um, from the culture of safety survey. Moving to operations and program updates and our community connection pillar. Um, this is very exciting. And I have to thank Trustee Splendorio for making the connection. Um, he introduced me to um, the president of USF, who is a, a friend of Trustee Splendorio's. And so we had a really great conversation and that led to a meeting with our leadership team talking to the Dean of the School of Nursing about the possibility of creating a process that will allow clinical placements for USF nursing students within our health system. Um, we believe that we can become the home institution for USF, uh, their nursing program, and also to allow our nursing leaders to be trained as clinical instructors to facilitate the learning process. So really, um, again, honoring our commitment to this community and creating the workforce that we know that we need for the future. So very excited about the potential relationship with USF. And again, thank you, Trustee Splendorio. A few St. Rose updates. And St. Rose, I think you all know, is a community-based hospital in Hayward. Um, we are, um, we've always had a good relationship with them. We're working to enhance that relationship. We believe that there are real synergies that can be gained by virtue of working more closely with them. One of the neat things about EPIC, which is our electronic medical record, is that we can extend our license to other facilities. And so we're having active conversations with St. Rose because the reality is they would have a, they would be hard-pressed to come up with the funding necessary to um, go it alone to implement that. But they're on Meditech, which many of you know is a rather antiquated EMR. And so we're working with them to see if we can extend our license to allow St. Rose to have 
um, access to Epic without having to do a, a full Epic implementation themselves. The other benefit is that a lot of our patients um, are, are shared, if you will, and by being on the same EMR, we will be able to um, have full access, as will they, to the medical records for those patients. And so we think it will create a more seamless um, working relationship uh, to the betterment of our those we serve. The second item um, is something that they let us know that they were in the process of developing a distinct part skilled nursing facility on their campus, and they asked um, for our support in writing a letter to DHCS um, to support their application, which we've done. We um, believe that we can do more. We love we have patients who we think would be well suited to, to go there and it would help our throughput issues. So we believe we can help them while helping ourselves. And so we're in active conversations with them about how do we create a streamlined process for allowing AHS patients to avail themselves of these beds once this unit comes online at St. Rose. And the third option um, item is uh, about elective procedures. We have a pretty significant backlog with elective procedures here. So we're looking at all of our options. How do we um, diminish that backlog in the most expedited manner possible. And they have um, excess capacity, if you will, at St. Rose. So we think that we can, again, um, help them utilize their capacity, but dig into that elective backlog that we have. So again, we believe there are synergies to be realized there. So working closely with the team over at St. Rose. In regards to quality care, just wanted to share quickly um, the latest information regarding our post-acute care. And so, as you can see, these are the CMS ratings for, this is the distinct part facility in Alameda. You can see the overall quality is five out of five, which is fantastic. And obviously they are five for health inspection, five for quality measures and five, four for staffing, but their overall rating is a five. So that's not new news for them. They, they consistently are a top performer. The next one is pretty exciting. Um, this is our, our Fairmont location, which is a five-star. It had been a four-star previously, and so, um, you know, they're like Avis number two, but they try harder, and so they now <laughs> also achieve the five-star rating, so we're terribly proud of, of that work also. And uh, and this, I'm sorry it's so small, but I will read it. Um, this is the um, Prescani scores for the rehab facilities, and you can see that um, overall, our score was a 95.3, um, and the all hospital database score, and this is for rehab, the inpatient rehab, is 92.1. And so um, we are, we're beating the, the other hospitals, if you will, with our 95.3 score. And so really proud of that work. And so again, this is all under the leadership of Richard Espinosa, our CAO for post-acute care, who is dynamic and um, just really proud of Richard and his teams. And finally, our COVID-19 vaccination update. This data really hasn't changed since I last presented in November. You can see that of our 5,300 plus employees, 96% um, are fully vaccinated, which leaves 4% unvaccinated. And of those fully vaccinated employees, 98% have received boosters. And so, you know, we know that about a third of our employees have actually tested positive for COVID thus far. But um, we think that by virtue of being um, having a high percentage of vaccinated and boosted staff that's really allowed us to keep our workforce intact and that accrues to the benefit of our patients. Made it, I'm at the Q&A. So um, <laughs> uh, welcome any questions or comments from the trustees. Thank you, uh, James. Any comments? I, I had, uh, oh, uh, Trustee <laughs> did you have a question or comment? 
I, yeah. I do have a question. Um, if uh, we could go back on the nursing program for USF, since I'm new, I, I want to ask question. Um, I know that it's a very expensive school, so I want to make sure that there's, I need to understand more. I mean, my daughter went to USF. I'm going to say I'm fortunate as a single mom to be able to send my daughter to USF in a nursing school, right? But I want to make sure that we are just not, I mean, looking at other areas where there may be in a community where not everybody's fortunate to send their, their um, kids to an ex, uh, uh, USF, which is a very expensive school. And so is there any room for others who may have graduated not at USF? What will be their opportunity to be able to make sure that, you know, there's something for them also um, in terms of being able to given the opportunity because not, not, I'm pretty sure that in the community that we are, you know, nursing is not a place where everybody's going to send their their children. So I just want to make sure that, you know, uh, there's more opportunity for other um, um, that are going to, to nursing school. So if you could elaborate more for me, why is it just USF school? Are there any other areas that could be built into this into this program so that there's more opportunity for, I just want to make sure that, that, that we have the, you know, um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion of other, other, you know, uh, um, nursing, um, graduates or graduating that there's some opportunity for them and not just that a USF school, if we could just give me more explanation that did we look at other areas or is it just that the USF? So, that's my question. Um, there was a lot there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would just say that this is not an exclusive relationship. Doing what we're proposing with USF would not preclude us from doing something similar with other organizations. So the door would be open. This is kind of a pilot. We've never done anything like this, Trustee Obligacion. And so I, I, I hear your concern. I don't know that I really know how to answer it though, because certainly we would be open to doing this with other institutions. It's just that we've been approached by USF. And so we're prepared because right now we don't have anything like this. And so I think this is a pilot and we could certainly do something similar with other institutions, but I could not say that, you know, we, we have to explore that further um, to see if we could create similar relationship with other nursing programs. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Certainly. Uh, Trustee Obligacio, your, uh, I mean, expertise in this is for those who are of other nursing schools. So like, I mean, I think there's just such a shortage and having a pipeline for nursing and workforce development on that front is always good. So uh, other alternatives that are new connections for us as we are thinking about partnerships is always, always good. So we'll be looking for more connections of this. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Yeah, I'm glad that they're, they're the one that's reaching out to us. That we all could also be proactive, trying to look at other areas. Because I want to make sure that we're giving opportunity to others that may not be able. And we know that, you know, in this economic time, I mean, USF is a very expensive school. Like I said, I, you know, I'm one of the fortunate um, single mom that able to send 
my daughter to a nursing school. I mean, they have a great program, program, but I just want to make sure that there's some inclusion of others. And if we have to be the one to also look at other areas, it, it's, it's a great start, I think. So uh, thank you for that. But, you know, if um, any one of us, right, that are able to be able to approach others, hopefully it will be very successful. And I'm pretty sure it will be uh, that we could look at other areas so that the opportunity for others are also uh, afforded. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. Noted. Absolutely. And, um, you know, thank you, um, James, for that, like looking back. And it was just a snippet, but just so many, so many big things. And then looking forward, so many things to come. And I know that uh, though in the context of the violence used to be right now, it's the the you know metal detectors, but they, this is accompanied by other uh, outreach and violence prevention efforts too, because it is a sad situation. Folks come here when they are most vulnerable, when they are in pain, and that is just uh, not a warm and fuzzy and friendly um, interface. Uh, and it is uh, truly sad that this is this you know situation that uh, of violence in the you know, that, that yeah. necessitates us to do that. So yeah, noted, but also that in connection with other things that are going to be helping us build trust I and think, relationship with I really appreciate you saying that, uh, Chair Banerjee. And yes, we, um, I think most of you will recall that a few months ago when there was the shooting at the school, and we talked about wanting to lean in and be an organization that did more than just, you know, and there's, it's not just, we, take care of people when they have been hurt by violence, but we want to do more. We want to be proactive and help decrease violence in our community. And so to your point, we are actively looking at creating relationships and trying to be a, a proactive force for violence um, decreasing in our community. But um, this is just a reality of, um, you know, what's happening in healthcare today. And so um, to the extent that we can minimize the intrusiveness of these metal detectors, of course, we will do that. But um, we want our staff to, and it was a fascinating dialogue during the chat today because, you know, there was a person who said they were worried about criminalization, and then there are other people who weighed in immediately and said, I feel safer with having metal detectors. And so it's just a reality that um, we're not all going to agree on this, but we as an administrative team have an obligation to try to provide the safest environment for the provision of care, and we'll always do that. Yeah, and uh, keeping the pulse flow to be able to see like how what is you know transpiring as you as you do that and what might be some ways to kind of make this you know what what is the patient experience yes once absolutely. we have that and tracking that so thank you that's all right madam, so, madam chair i have uh, another um comment um <laughs> so just want to you know comment that um great accomplishment for the 2022 um, and I'm not sure if it's already happened. I mean, I'm really glad that there's some good accomplishment uh, for for uh, 2022. So uh, have we recognized all the staff that had made all contribution? Because, you know, I want to make sure that, that, you know, yes, this is a good report, great accomplishment, but I want to make sure that we always recognize our employees for the great accomplishment and you know, of course, I'm new. I don't know whether it already happened, but it's a good segue to just 
you know, making sure that the, 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 the contribution that all the workers have um, provided with this great accomplishment that we recognize them. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so uh, moving on to item number D, which is the medical staff report. And we have uh, Dr. Nikki Joshi, who is an ED physician um, uh, and is the chief of medical staff at Alameda Hospital. Dr. Joshi, are you? Yes, um, I'm here. Welcome, and I have to say that I'm, I'm just so thrilled we've known um, Dr. Joshi is a fantastic ED physician, and today we exchanged um, emails, and I realized that you are, uh, you know, she, I was just so impressed to see that one of the papers that Dr. Joshi has um, published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine was about how to support ED clinicians and other clinicians to be, you know, in their reproductive freedom and rights and breastfeeding. So thank you for that. We have, uh, you, know, we, you wear many hats and sometimes we see folks only as one and it was really nice to see, uh, you know, a, a, a facet of you, which is like, it, it, it is helping change policy because, you know, the Pump Act just got signed by President Biden um, a few days ago. So with that, uh, please, uh, the stage is yours. Thank you so much and congratulations on the new role and I'm looking forward to seeing what the board will do um, in 2023. Um, and so my report is in close as you can see and I wanted to highlight a few things. Number one under A, which is that the Alameda Hospital Strategic Planning Committee had met in November and we actually have our upcoming meeting coming up in later in January. I'm looking forward to this meeting which is going to be I think one of the best examples of collaboration for 2023. And what I hope to personally get out of it, uh, myself personally, and to represent the AH Med staff is a way to look critically and at Alameda Hospital. Are we utilizing what we have in terms of space right now? Are there opportunities to expand what we are able to offer to our patients, to the system? And what infrastructure do we need? So I know this strategic meeting is really convened because of the unfortunate failed legislative efforts from last year, but I really hope that we can turn this around and really take it as an opportunity to expand what the hospital can do, what shape it would look like, but mostly to meet our patient needs, but also to excel. So I'm really hoping to emphasize the excel part of it. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, the physician representation is going to be broad. It's going to include myself for emergency medicine, but also our hospice group and surgery. So I think from the med staff, it's going to be that our participation will be comprehensive and whole. Um, so beyond that, um, the rest of what I want to highlight under quality is that we previously were able to approve our temporary privileges policy and our APP policy. So these are two important things that um, Satira and our MedStep group work on all the time. And so it was important to be able to update those policies and pass them. Um, I also wanna highlight expansion of services that we are able to offer. The podiatry group has expanded to Alameda Hospital. 
uh, podiatry is an important part of what we need and what our patients need within Alameda Health System. So they are now seven days a week, 365 days a year, which is incredible. This means that our patients do not need to be transferred out, but also that we will future state be able to transfer patients to Alameda Hospital and therefore in the future, hopefully lessen the overcrowding that we currently have at, at a Highland Hospital. So that's, that's an important, big deal. And then sustainability. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but um, the finance group really worked hard to expand our ability to take care of our patients. Um, and they have previously given an update on that. So that's under sustainability. So don't need to go into more details except to express how happy we are that this was able to be passed. And that's the extent of my report. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, um, Dr. Joshi. Any comments or questions for Dr. Joshi? Actually, I do have a question. That podiatry uh, service being open 24-7, 365, um, this is something you may not have offhand, but I'm curious about the financial impact that we expect in cost savings from not having to transfer people and whether it changes length of stay, if that's something that we can get a report back over time or if it, there's an anticipation um, from what you would expect, I'd love to know. That, that sounds like a great development. I don't have that information offhand, but I'm certain that we can definitely get that. Thank you, Dr. I have a question on that too. Um, does the 24 hour coverage require us to pay call uh, reimbursement to the podiatrist to provide that coverage? Um, to pay, I'm sorry, I missed one word, to pay for call? To pay on call uh, uh, fees to the podiatrist. I don't know the coverage. specifics of the contract, um, so we can also get that financial, we, you know, we can kind of put that into the financial impact, uh, but I do know that they are not physically in the hospital 24-7, and so as such, within the med staff, we have worked out what it would mean to, um, to access them, to call them, and what, you know, the time that they would see the patient. We've worked that out within um, the med staff, but I can again, um, kind of roll that into part of the financial component of, of the report that I can do to report back to the group. That'd be great because I know that some specialties uh, require to be paid to be on call, whether they're on home, at home or, uh, or whether they have to come in or not. Well, thank you, Dr. Joshi. And, uh, you know, the work uh, you all had a great joint commission survey last year. And, uh, but also with the strategic planning committee, so much of the kind of focus and being able to integrate and coordinate about the infrastructure and how you can really be synergistic and take some of the overflow from here and do that. So uh, as always, just asking, how do you feel? <laughs> that it's, it's always nice to have little ones um, join us. <laughs> Um, how uh, how resourced and supported? And if you need to answer later, that's fine too. But <laughs> no, I'm okay. I can answer. They literally choose the moments to walk in. But go ahead. <laughs> how, how resourced do you feel to be able to navigate these conversations and then work this through with your colleagues, both as well as uh, with the administration? 
I feel resourced right now because I think we have a great group we, with our administration, nursing leaders, Lisa Tara and the med staff. Um, we have a great relationship with the HMG group. So I feel at this point well-resourced in order to be able to do the work that we need to do and to move forward. And I think most of all, the the support of the strategic planning, which is obviously not coming only from us, it's coming from the board, from AHS. So I think with that, we're going to be able to move forward. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Hello to the little ones. Thank That's you awesome. for joining us. Um, I am going to now invite um, Dr. Lee. And uh, welcome, Dr. Lee. This is your first time. Uh, it's been here, uh, it has been months before. Uh, she's done a sit-in, but this is now she's official. Yeah, so congratulations, and we are so uh, glad that you are now the um, chief of medical staff. So um, welcome. Thank you, Chair Banerjee, and congratulations, Chair Banerjee and Vice Chair Esteen on your new positions. And thank you for always supporting our health system. I'm Lana Lee, I'm an OBGYN physician, and I'm the new Chief of Staff of Alameda Health System. So thank you for joining me this evening. I'll be presenting the AHS MEC report to the Board of Trustees. Um, as Dr. Joshi mentioned, the Alameda Health System medical staff and Alameda Hospital med staff approved policies related to the medical staff temporary privileges, as well as revised the advanced practice provider policies and procedures. Um, we also oversee the AHS ongoing professional practice evaluation process. Um, recently, we have approved OPPE quality indicators for our providers that include billing and coding data, as well as EHR database reporting. Um, I'm going to move to sustainability, um, where the AHS med staff continues to have a challenge identifying a candidate for vice chief of staff role. Um, on an interim basis, Dr. Irina Williams will serve as our vice chief while we are still in our search. Uh, our anesthesia department is experiencing staffing challenges. Uh, there's been a lot of movement in recruiting as well as looking at their staffing model, reevaluating that. Um, we have, as a medical staff, recently granted several providers temporary privileges. So we hope that there's an improvement in that staffing very soon. So thank you, everyone, uh, and I'm available for any questions. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Any questions? And welcome again, and I hope that you feel supported in your onboarding and to, to be doing um, all of that as and also your division chief work as a in that so thank you for being here. Thank you, I do, I do feel really well supported, thank you. Thank you. So that, moving on to, um, Dr. Oksali is on uh, leave, so we will not be hearing about the San Leandro Hospital right now. So that concludes uh, item D, and we will move to item E, which is the committee, board co uh, committee reports. So uh, E1, uh, uh, Trustee Friedman, do you have an update for the Audit and Compliance Committee? Yeah, thank you very much. The Audit and Compliance Committee met so long ago that I had to go back to the, all the meeting information. That was uh, November 8th, 
and uh, we handled all the things we typically handle, including uh, looking at financial statements, uh, cybersecurity update, and a discussion of internal audit compliance reporting summary. We do, most of these are standard items for us. And the good news is there was nothing memorable that came out of that meeting. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, excellent, because with the staggering amount of just uh, cyber phishing and other, all of that, it's just like, it's uh, good to have um, you know, no scares at, at come up at the meeting. Um, we know. Uh, any any questions for Trustee uh, Freeman? No. Okay. Moving on. Next will be quality. Trustee Freeman. Um, the QPSC uh, met on November 16, twenty two, and as always, we did our standard work of approving credentialing policies, procedures. We heard our quality reports. We discussed an article by Dr. Susan Ehrlich on, on DEI, um, uh, installing it in a, in a methodical way within an organization. It's a good read. I ask trustees to go back and consider reading that article in the context of what we do here. We also heard two kind of, if you will, marquee presentations. One was the governance of quality at AHS. I, I, would, I would submit this should also be a source document, especially for our new trustees, but all of us, it tells you how quality flows in and out of this organization. The QPSC, ultimately, everything flows up to the QPSC. But, but there are a lot of subcommittees, and it's sometimes hard to put them all together, how things flow. A great source document for the trustees to go back with, if anyone's ever wondering how quality is done at this organization. And appreciate the quality team who put that together. We also heard um, uh, from uh, some data, and uh, as we know, data is king. Uh, acute health outcomes data. And this really helped us to understand sort of the makeup of the patients who come to our organization. And this also provides us a window into looking at DEI. Uh, you know, almost two thirds of our hospitalized patients are either black or Latino. So that when you don't know that, it's hard to kind of make our measures to, to, to find equity. So this is also a great source document. document. Dr. Evan Rousseau, uh, yeah, oversees a lot of this, and I saw him at lunch today, and we we're just nerding out on data. He's a great resource for, for helping us advance the quant of the DEI work we're doing here. So that was a large meeting. Again, a couple of great source documents for anyone to go back and look at this. Uh, with the chair's uh, behest, I'd, I'd recommend that if we could move that uh, into our, 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 our learning library rather than it being buried within uh, the uh, QPSC document. I think those are two great kind of source documenting articles. Yes. And that's my report. Thank you, uh, Dr. Bouquet. Any questions? All right, uh, Trustee Fox for the finance. Okay, well, uh, unfortunately for the board, the, meet, the committee met last week, so it's still fresh in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I have about a dozen pages of detail that I can report to you. But I'll pare it down to a half page. Our uh, CFO, Ms. Miranda, reported that our year-to-date operating revenue, this is through November, is $35 million above budget. Collection ratio is above budget. Uh, however, our operating expenses are $48 million above budget, 43 million of which uh, variances in labor. Uh, labor has been high due to higher, higher volume of 
patient days and registry, and the registry is $26 million above budget, uh, and registry usage is more than three times what we budgeted through the first five months of the year. So with these facts, uh, the net income year-to-date November is $8 million, which is $13 million below budget. So we're behind budget and behind last year, but fortunately, we're not losing money. Okay? We are still profitable. We've made $8 million year-to-date, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and the, the NNV um, was uh, $28 million owed to the county at the end of November. Um, Ms. Miranda also uh, talked about the year-end audit. Uh, and just in summary, it was a clean opinion, no disagreements with management. And the audit, uh, you can talk about it in two or three sentences, but it's months of work on behalf of the finance team. So uh, the committee congratulated our CFO and finance team for that uh, successful, very large piece of work. We had a report on the, the COO's report. Of, uh, Mr. Frasky turned it over to Ro Lofkin, Ro Lofkin, who's the chief nursing officer. She talked about uh, accomplishments for 2022 and priorities for 2023. And uh, she has definitely got a lot of things going, a lot of things she's already done. And uh, my recollection of my work in hospital administration is that the busiest calendar in the whole organization belongs to the chief nurse. If you look at her calendar, you'll see that her meetings for every hour of the day are probably three and four deep. I don't know how she does it, um, but somehow she does it. So uh, I, I think we've got the right person in that position. Um, we also had a report from Mark Brown on uh, the impact of COVID on throughput and length of stay and our COVID, COVID outbreaks on our post-acute locations, our major uh, unfavorable impacts on our ability to discharge patients because uh, I think there has, they have to be post 14 days post-infection for anybody there. Makes it very difficult. Uh, also understaffing at the facilities. Um, and at John George, COVID patients must go to Highland, even if they're asymptomatic, and, and that creates extra, extra work and uh, requirement for clinical staff at Highland. And that is my report. Thank you, Trustee. Fox and yes, I would I would suggest that for folks who are not on finance too, I, I always listen because the audio doesn't do justice to it. And so and so for those who are not on quality, sometimes should just come into as guests uh, and listen in because there's just such incredible richness in our committee meetings. And so we will get the looking at the written reports that we all read, but really, really amazing richness and this is a testament to the incredible work by our team. So thank you, James. Thank you to our leadership for doing that. Apparently there was some great artwork at the finance committee meeting too. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was unfortunate. Yes, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm still here for comedy. <laughs> so, so if I may, there, there was an interloper who joined the meeting and was drawing uh, crude images on the PowerPoint presentation that was up. The team rallied and quickly found a way to isolate who it was. We had everybody turn their cameras on. But subsequent to that, Mark Amy and his team are looking at how do we harden our meetings. And so we expect to be able to prevent those kind of uh, interlopers in the future. So. 
Thank, thank you for bringing that yeah. up. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, <laughs> how hard Artist, Artistic freedom. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see how our, our clerk handles that. Business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ron, you were one of the, uh, and uh, Kim Miranda, too, like, uh, uh, feel for you. All right, um, next item is the the board had an executive committee meeting on December 20th, and uh, we have a very short update on that. Uh, Trustee Esteem, would you like to share, or should I, the, the E4, the executive committee update? Sure, I can give a, a little report about it. So we, we met to discuss some items um, related to the uptake of equity within uh, you know, equity is one of the core pillars of our strategic plan. And uh, in December, we're normally dark, but we had a special executive committee meeting because of the uh, extreme dedication to making sure that we have equity in all levels of the organization. And I think that the approach, uh, what we came to is that the approach has to really be um, not necessarily top down, but from the bottom up as we think about equity every staff person, every patient we serve, every member of the executive leadership team um, may find themselves in new water as we take on equity in a holistic way. Um, you know, equity is a word that means a lot of things to a lot of people, but in practice, it can sometimes mean um, humility in recognizing our faults. And as a health system, you know, as we talk about culture of safety survey, as we talk about uh, difficulty with recruiting uh, vice chief of medicine or for anesthesia, the fact that two thirds of our inpatients are black and Latino, and we now have metal detectors in our system all over the place. There's so much that equity touches. And I think that uh, in addition to touching our patients and the quality of care and outcomes, it also touches uh, staff in a special way. And so uh, equity is going to be uh, something that we dedicate to. We had a uh, special converse, conversation uh, with a group um, that we're going to continue having conversations with about uh, in addition to the current culture the undertaking around uh, changing culture in the organization. We're bringing in uh, more DEI consultants to speak with so that we can uh, make a true investment in the new approach towards equity for 2023. And forgive me guys, I'm in a different time zone right now. Um, it's pretty late here and my internet is all messed up. So, I can't actually access any of my notes. <laughs> Please forgive me for being a little scattered. Um, and also equity is the kind of thing that sometimes will leave you a little, not necessarily solid on your footing. And I think it's okay to recognize that we have to just take it one day at a time. Um, can can you, uh, Trustee Banerjee, I'm gonna pass it back to you. But I think we had a, a robust discussion Thank you, uh, thank you, Trustee um, Esteen. And basically just that, that, you know, as we move into our uh, health equity, uh, how do we embody just culture at the board 
at the staff level and how do we you know really manifest it so a lot of the elements of just culture coaching mentorship things that we all need so thank you uh, to uh, Trustee Splendorio, who made some connections about, you know, what can we do for code and ELT education together. That so we are not thinking of this as, uh, you know, more of a system-wide thing of like how are we building our collective capacity. So that that was good. We'll we'll be doing some, you know, coming back with ideas for some learning art practice art for all of us that we'll keep you all posted. All right. Um, I'm really I'm pleased that the board is taking this up and, and really being mindful about this. Uh, I think there may be opportunities to interface with some of the cultural transformation work that is uh, underway. Um, I, I, don't want, I don't want to speak out of school, but um, Lorna Jones, who is our Chief Human Resources Officer, we're in conversations, we're really looking to move that work to her. Mark Kratzky has, I think, done a great job leading that effort thus far, but given the role that HR plays in a lot of that cultural transformation work and given Lorna's specific experiences working with Hetty and DEI and her prior um, employments, we felt like it was a great opportunity to really bring her in. And so given the charge from the board to you know, make sure that we work with local partners around the cultural transformation work that we're contemplating, I just would offer that this may be something that with Lorna's leadership, we could um, work with you. Yeah, and sorry, should have mentioned that because it was we just took it for granted. We came out of the executive committee meeting with an understanding that it would be together with Lorna. So we, uh, because the HR is thinking of folks, and we, so we are not doing this in silo together, but together. So Lorna is part of the uh, uh, of this conversation as well to see Very how good. might this integrate into what's already happening and build up on what's happening. So yeah, she's very much part of this. Okay, wonderful. So that ends our um, committee and we are at least 20 minutes behind time. So coming on to the next item, which is our consent agenda. We have six items on the consent agenda. We have approval of minutes of the board, November board um, meeting. We have approval of minutes of the Alameda Health, Health Medical Group, approval of systems-wide policy procedures, medical staff, and the hospital charity care policies and debt collection. And finally, we have an approval of a contract for GE for seven and a half um, million. So before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of this consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed or brought for discussion. Looks like no. Okay, so can I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda? Madam Chair, motion to approve the consent agenda item in the entirety F1 through F6. All right. So. What he said. <laughs> and uh, roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Thank you. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Oblacacion. Aye. Trustee Slendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. All right. So that's the end of our consent agenda. And we come to the next part of our um, agenda where we have action and discussion items. So we do, they're all discussion items. And I just want to point out that G3, which is the discussion about the changes in the 
executive leadership team structure, we are going to uh, pull that out for a later meeting. So we will be doing, uh, starting with, um, first starting with a discussion about the annual board self-assessment review. So as you know, once a year, just as our CEO does, our board also has um, uh, an annual evaluation and uh, looking at the different elements of our governance. And we've been so fortunate to partner with the Governance Institute. And I'm honored to have, I'm delighted to have our two partners from the Governance Institute. Lindsay Law, who is a strategic advisor and solutions expert. She's been our liaison for years. She works closely with healthcare organizations across the nation, supporting capacity building for board members, for executives, position leaders, and also in planning customized board retreats, uh, education, and other development plans. So she, um, she will be Lindsay, Shannon, McCann, and their team have been steadfast back partners for us and supported both our CEO evaluation as well as now our board evaluation. So um, we moving forward, Amy Schroeder will be the Governance Institute's liaison to AHS and Amy brings over 25 years of experience from the healthcare industry um, and in like strategic financial clinical improvements and also deep expertise in leveraging strengths to improve patient experience. So I'm so glad you're both here to join us today and co-present the report of the board evaluation. So um, will we, uh, are your mics on, Lindsay and Amy? Welcome. Thank you very much for having us. This is Amy and I am sharing my screen. Um, we're pleased to be here this evening. Can you see the presentation that I'm sharing? We yes. do. Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. We will go ahead and get started. So um, you all completed your second round um, of the board compass format <laughs> of the report. Um, and so what that means for you is that there will be national benchmark comparisons as well as you'll have previous year data in this, um, in this assessment. So one of the things that we just like to cover very high level is just the board's duties and responsibilities. So as a reminder, there are three fiduciary um, duties as a board member. There are the care, loyalty, and obedience uh, duties. And then there are the core responsibilities as a board member. There's the quality oversight, the financial oversight, the strategic direction, board development, management oversight, community benefit and advocacy, and board culture. When we start looking at your individual results, um, we'd like to congratulate you. You had 100% participation, um, so nine out of nine of you responded. When we look at your question structure, it is the same as it was last year. So you had 37 questions that ranked at, um, it was a five point rating from very effective to very ineffective. There were three items um, that were custom questions um, that were zero to 10 point scales. And then there were five open-ended opportunities that were um, your comment questions. When we look at the overall effectiveness of the board questions in terms of overall ratings, there are three categories that we looked at. In terms of overall effectiveness and how you rated, in 2022, you scored yourselves an 8.1, and these are all top box scores. 
Um, mm -hmm. So you have to score yourselves um, as very effective in this category. In 2021, you scored yourselves at 7.3 and the national benchmark is 8.3. So just as kind of for context, national benchmark, we look at 230 boards data across the country. And that, that is what is included in that national benchmark, okay? Under you considering your experience on the board to be positive, meaningful, and engaging, this year you rated yourself a nine, up from 8.8, .8 and slightly above the national benchmark of 8.8. .8. In terms of you considering you have the opportunity to influence strategy, culture, and or performance, this year you rated yourself 8.7, up from 8.2, and up from the national benchmark of 8.1. Any questions here? Does that all make sense? Okay. When we look at the three fiduciary duties and the core responsibilities and how you rate yourself in terms of your top box scores, again, all the questions that you um, answer roll up into one of these categories. So in terms of care, um, in terms of top box score, you had a 44.4%. Loyalty, you rated yourself at 55.6%, which is up from um, the prior year in 2021, you were at 16.7%. Obedience, you're at 33.3%. And core responsibilities for quality, you're at 41.7%. Financial oversight, you took a, a large jump from the prior year. You went from 11% to 66%. Under strategic direction, you're at 17.8%. Board development, 12.7%. Management oversight, you're at 38.9%. Community health and advocacy, you're at 11.1%. And board culture, you're at 55.6%. The next two slides that we're going to cover are items we consider to have high correlation. What these two slides tell us are the items that you deem most important to you. So what we did is we pulled out the top 13 items that you deem most important, and we pulled out the themes. So there are three main themes that really kind of rang true um, in terms of both your strengths, your correlations, as well as your opportunities and your comments. And the three, three themes that we kind of saw themes with were culture, um, strategic direction, and board development. When you look at these, um, you'll notice that there are there's a uh, dark black line. That line is going to be the national top box average. The yellow line is going to be indicative of your previous year top box. So if that question was reflected on the survey last year, you're going to see that question, um, your score last year. Questions about what the items with high correlation are. So again, the culture, um, you know, you, you clearly have worked on your culture um, and that's very important to you. Um, one of the questions that we really um, take a lot of, take a lot of time looking into um, and feel, tells a pretty good story about what's going on at the board level is, does the board have a culture that allows for active participation and candid communication? So do people feel like they're able to voice opinions regardless of how sensitive a topic may be? Um, you guys really, um, this is something that you feel very strongly about and you scored very well on this. 
and it's a very highly correlated item for you. Um, again, this is the second page of this. So in terms of looking at your items on this specific page, um, you hold management accountable for accomplishing the strategic plan by requiring major, major strategic projects or initiatives um, by specifying measurable criteria. In terms of board development, you really are looking for information on selecting new trustees, candidates from a pool that reflect a broad range of diversity and competencies. Um, you want to evaluate proposed new initiatives on factors such as mission compatibility, financial feasibility, market potential, and impact on quality and patient safety, along with community health needs and adherence to the strategic plan before approving them. Um, the full board participates in establishing the organization's strategic direction, including in creating a longer range vision and approving the strategic plan. Um, in terms of establishing a strategy for aligning the clinical and economic goals of the hospitals and, and physicians. You want to spend more than half of the meeting time during the board meetings in active deliberation, discussion, and debate about strategic priorities of the organization, as opposed to hearing reports. So again, that ties back to you really want to be focusing on that strategic direction. And then this question, um, modeling a culture of dignity, equity, and transparency. Again, um, this was a custom question that you've requested, but you're scoring, you have a very high um, high score in this as well. When we turn to your items of strength, the first item that I wanna point out is those items that have a star on the left-hand side are those items that were reflected on the last two slides. So they're also items of high correlation. So you understand the organization's current financial situation and you receive accurate financial reports on a regular basis in order to provide early warning signals of financial problems. So again, this, um, <coughs> this yellow here is your previous top box score. So um, you've improved over where you were last year, as we mentioned. You model a culture of dignity, equity, and transparency. Again, your top box score has significantly improved over where you were last year. You engage in building a high level of trust with the CEO and staff. You consider how major decisions will impact the organization's mission before approving them and reject proposals that put the mission at risk. Again, here's the national benchmark and the previous benchmark. Because these are custom questions, they won't have a national benchmark. Um, and you uniformly and consistently adhere to the code of conduct and the conflict of interest policy. Related to items of opportunity, um, you want to enforce minimum meeting preparation and attendance requirements. Again, that starred item goes back to the items of high correlation that were reflected in the previous slides. You want to spend more than half of the meeting time during board meetings in active deliberation, discussion, and debate about strategic priorities of the organization, as opposed to just hearing reports. You want to use the results of a formal board assessment like this one to establish board performance goals at least every two years. Um, and so what we would like to see, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we 
talk a little bit about a government's development or action plan is we we frequently see that boards are establishing goals that are separate and distinct, um, but in lockstep with the health system. Um, and then they do tactics underneath that, that roll up to those goals. Um, but they do have their own goals that support um, the mission and vision of the organization, but they aren't necessarily the same as the health system. They apply competency-based governance principles to the assess board members and facilitate board development and board leadership succession planning, and then establish a risk profile of the organization and hold management accountable to performance consistent with the risk profile. So it sounds like you're already doing a lot of these things. You've had your financial audit, you're doing a cybersecurity audit. Um, those are certainly at the forefront um, of risks that organizations are facing. Another item to consider is, you know, with the workforce um, or workforce shortage, you know, how we could roll that into your strategy in terms of risk and how you're planning and preparing for that. That's something we often see um, organizations and boards considering as part of the risk profile moving forward. Your open-ended comments, I would say that they really echoed and held up what was found in your data. Um, your important obligations, I would say, um, really talked most mainly about being able to express opinions, um, advocating for health equity, um, carrying out your mission and upholding your fiduciary duties, um, and supporting and sustaining your culture that you've worked so hard to, um, to create, and then acting as ambassadors for um, the health system to internal and external stakeholders. Related to the board experience, you feel that you've got dedicated and diverse and professional leaders, that opinions are heard without judgment. And I think that was echoed in that first question that we saw. Um, the Zoom format has not allowed for optimal engagement. And that is something that we're hearing, um, you know, throughout boards across the country that um, as folks are feeling more comfortable, they're wanting to come back together um, as a group. Um, once the executive leadership was introduced, the board of trustees experience improved. Um, there's felt there's too much focus on operations. They need more focus on strategy. In terms of influence, strategic direction, culture and performance, they have the opportunity for more strategic direction, commitment to health equity and responsibility for oversight of CEO. Related to board improvement, again, that focus on strategic and direction, focus on equity and community partnerships, ongoing training related to all the healthcare landscape and emerging trends, um, training related to federal funding, identify potential conflicts of interest and establish a policy to address these and meeting preparedness and attendance. Education topics, um, I was very impressed by how specific you all were related to the types of education that you wanted. Um, so these are all um, very, very good um, items that I think um, are all top of mind for a lot of healthcare leaders right now. So the strategic planning, the racial equity training and data-driven decision-making, county health system training, the Brown Act, access to care, understanding financial reports, um, healthcare trends, provider workforce retention, and trauma care. So the next thing that we kind of just like to go over very high level is just the elements of effective governance. So this is kind of our flywheel um, of what we feel at the Governance Institute really 
makes for an effective um, governing board. So it starts kind of with recruitment and then goes through the structure and that builds the culture. And that's based upon the education and development. And you do that evaluation and performance kind of like you're doing now. And it's a continuance government improvement process. And tied into that is that leadership succession planning. So it's just a constant wheel that's constantly moving where you're setting expectations and you're constantly doing that education and assessing and just a continual improvement. That makes sense. So what we'll be doing over the coming months is we'll be working with your team um, on just basically some development planning on those ideas and on those opportunities for improvement um, with some very specific action items and strategies. And we have some very specific resources that are available that can get at those um, action items and the strategies that um, we can kind of close some gaps on those. We also um, have the Governance Institute website that you should have access to. And I just always like to remind everyone that there's a variety of online resources available to you. Um, so we do have some online videos. Um, there are online case studies and the Boardroom Press is a really great resource. If you just have a question or you're looking for something specific, you can get online and do a quick search. and. Um, more often than not, you'll find we have a resource available um, if you have a quick question. I also like to remind everyone we have great leadership conferences um, available to attend in person or virtually. And we do have best in class um, speakers that come and speak about governance issues, healthcare trends. Um, and more importantly, it's an opportunity for you all to get away together um, and, you know, really connect with other healthcare leaders and talk about the issues that you all are facing on a day-to-day -day basis. So would encourage you to take advantage of those if you're able. So what are the lessons we learned and what are the action items? I would say, um, you know, at this point, I would open it up to you if you have any questions for me or Lindsay, um, we'd be open to those. Thank you, Amy. Mm -hmm. uh, and yep, been you know all of us have been on the board long enough to recognize how important excellent governance doesn't just simply happen. It needs intention and intention and governance authority and integrity resides with the board. And if there, we have to be the keepers of the integrity, keeping the mission at the forefront always, and keeping it as a basis for all of our board action. So just wanting to open it up for uh, comments, anything that surprised folks as you uh, saw how our, our peers did any comments? I have a comment. I know that there's been a question raised uh, over time about whether or not we are an operational board or strategic board and uh, we are definitely an operational board and do a lot of authorizing of things, especially contracts. Um, and I think that some of the, the discussion points in here that you called them, what were they called? Uh, items of correlation, high correlation. I think that helps to, to kind of underscore that we are also strategic, even though we are operational. Um, and I think that as we move forward with this equity piece and, you know, working with Lorna Jones and 
um, working with the other members of the ELT about moving towards equity. And I know that we're going to partner with you continuously for guidance, but I'm curious about how we can continue to find that balance between strategy and also uh, the work that we do that does help to operationalize things and support the operations of the institution. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that's something, honestly, that a lot of boards struggle with, right? Um, because it is a balance. And I think, um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, weaving your strategic plan back into the boardroom and really figuring out how, um, just making sure that you're really storytelling about how you're moving the mark on your strategic plan. Because I think frequently that is the piece that gets missed. Um, you're, you're moving and you're doing things on your strategic plan, but maybe it's not being, it's not being trickled down to everyone, if that makes sense. So there might be a core group that works on it and you all, you you might know about it or you your group might know about it, but not everyone knows about it. So just making sure that the good work you're doing on strategy is being shared amongst everyone. So that's one thing um, that I can think that we've seen kind of help, help with that strategy piece. Um, Lindsay, do you have any other thoughts or ideas? Yeah, the only thing I would add, and it's a really great question because, you know, it is defining that fine line, of course, between management and governance and getting into the operations and being strategic as well. And oftentimes I like to say there's kind of your, your capital S of strategy and your lowercase s of strategy. And oftentimes when we think about the capital S of strategy, it's the strategic direction of the organization, right? It's the strategic plan um, that we know you guys just approved um, a couple months ago. But there's also opportunities to just really be strategic about the agenda items that come up, uh, not only in the board meetings, but also in your committee meetings as well. Um, that you're sitting at this table um, in this Zoom room because you bring great talent to the organization. And so we want to utilize that talent to have that active dialogue, to have that conversation. Again, best practice is 50% of the time we want to be having that active dialogue, even if it's on that lowercase s of strategy. So for example, you know, quality or how um, DEI relates to the quality metrics. How can we really be strategic? Um, in regards to oversight of how that takes place for AHS. Thank, thank you, Lindsay and um, Amy. And I think that one of the things as we are thinking and in partnership with all of our, each one of our board members, as we are thinking about developing our own plan, we do have an internal um, committee of uh, health equity, diversity, inclusion, which includes, you know, all our, ELT leaders and chaired. And so there is some learning that is happening through that very conscious uh, arc of learning that we will be doing. But one of the things, because we are more hospital centric is that where, how do we do more population health-based things now that CalAIM has us as a kind of imperative to not just uh, have so many, we have about 80,000, I think these, I'm just throwing out the numbers of uh, patients are not charged, but we see 
two thirds of them we don't see because they it's in our primary care. And now that we you know not have to see them, but we do. Those are the kind of things strategically that we have to be thinking about, like the community partnerships. How do we do? What are some other ways in which we um, there are interfacing uh, with folks? So uh, we've come to your governance institute uh, events, but some of the collective learning that happens as a board is a really good thing because you know we go scatter at different places, but together when we go, there is that there's some sense making and reflection that happens that kind of helps pull us towards our mission and um, see that. I know that uh, James with um, our chief strategy officer, there's a lot of like, real thoughtful way that happening about like, as we think about how is everything aligned with mission or others? Because, you know, as a trustee who's been here for eight and a half years, sometimes, uh, and our foundation, uh, press co-press uh, chair Michael Gomez just said like some of the most incredibly patient-centric things that we have are grant funded or small pilots or they lurch from one grant to another right and so how do we like as a board if we are if this is health equity is so important like how do we make sure that there's a budget line item for the, these kinds of things as we are growing and building. So these are things that hopefully we are learning together because that community embedded aspect of it is something that, you know, for a hospital centric thing is a, is a little bit of a harder learning curve for us to be doing. So I'm hoping that in any governance plan we do, those are the aspects that we will be having much more strategic conversations and dialogues about. Um, any other questions, Scott? An April Leadership Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona would be nice for this board to go to April 23rd to 26th. Is it April? Yes. Um, well, uh, thank you so much. Again, we have a lot to process as we think about it, and our, our own executive committee will be in uh, touch. And thanks to this partnership between Rana and if you all, we have monthly meetings, so this is an ongoing. Thank you to the clerk of the board to be so on top of it and just amazing partners. Let's say good luck with your new uh, you know, role at NRC and we are so happy to be meeting with Amy and I'll work with our new uh, you know, vice president and new chair, both of us will be part of the ongoing conversations with you. Many thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for staying up so late on set full time. <laughs> no problem. Good night. So our next item moving on is the discussion about the Wilmachan Highland Campus patient and staff parking update. And will that be James? Uh, actually, um, Emil Amini, oh, of course. our director of security is present. Right here. Yeah. Apologies, I was trying to come off mute. Let me uh, share my screen real quick. Can you see my presentation? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Great. Good evening. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to present to you today. 
My name is Amal Amini. I'm the Director of Security, Parking and Transportation. Had I known I'd be presenting at this time, I'd probably program a stretch break for us, but we'll just keep it moving. Today, we'll review recent patient and employee parking enhancements at the Wilma Chan Highland Hospital campus. Before we dive in, I'm sure the question is crossing your minds. Of all the important work and patient care initiatives uh, that are underway at AHS, why are we discussing parking? Well, unfortunately, the answer is parking has become a significant barrier for our patients accessing care. Therefore, we've taken action by developing and impl implementing a plan to remove the parking barriers that exist for our patients while enhancing the employee parking experience. Ultimately, what's important for our patients, what they experience as a challenge in accessing care is important to us. We must stay true to our mission by remaining patient-centered. With that, we'll start our agenda. So today we'll start by evaluating our patient parking experience. Then we'll review patient parking locations and the results of a patient parking lot assessment we conducted. As we've learned about patient parking, we'll examine staff parking logistics, uh, the parking lots for our employees. Once we understand the parking challenges, we'll review the enhancement plan we implemented to address and improve patient and staff parking. We'll wrap up by reviewing feedback, learnings, and actions we've taken post-go-live. I can begin by providing anecdotal data based on patient feedback provided to our parking attendants, to our clinicians, and escalation emails I've received from department leaders pertaining to patient parking challenges. However, I believe it's important for us to view feedback directly from our patients to understand the levity of the issue. We'll start with a couple different case studies. And the first one is coming from a patient who was so frustrated with her experience, she called AHS to file a grievance. This is, um, I'm quoting the patient here, uh, the report was taken by our patient relations team. The patient alleges on 9622, she had two appointments at the East Mall Wellness Center. When she got there, she was told that her radiology appointment was at Highland Hospital at 9.50 a.m. The patient rushed to Highland, arriving at approximately 10 a.m. And, and realized that both parking lots that are dedicated to our patients were full. And not only were they full, they were blocked with a lot full sign. That way no one could park uh, in those patient parking garages. As a result, the patient missed her appointment. And when she got home, she, had, she called the radiology department who rescheduled her. This is a disabled patient. So driving takes a lot of effort for her. The next case study, another patient so frustrated she contacted Alameda Alliance to file a grievance. The member's mother was upset over not having enough parking spaces on campus. The mother of the, of the member, the patient, stated she doesn't mind paying for parking, but why, why are they charging, why is AHS charging for parking with no parking spaces left on the three levels? And, and we'll go into the three levels later. Member, the member's mother stated she has been late to appointments for this reason and would have to reschedule. Another grievance filed with Alameda Alliance by our patients is a member who called in expressing dissatisfaction at Highland Hospital. She stated the, the patient parking lot doesn't have an elevator for her to uh, go into the facility. And as a result, she has to walk up a steep hill. The member is 35 weeks pregnant and it's difficult for her to get to Highland. Uh, she, it, according to the uh, patient, it takes her 45 minutes to get there. And she was told by her OB at Newark Wellness Center that Highland Hospital is the only uh, hospital or location in the network that can do non-stress testing twice a week due to gestational diabetes. Um, 
this is a patient who came from Newark Wellness Center in South County to Highland Hospital. It took a, a, quite a bit of time to get there. And she wasn't familiar with our parking locations and she had a very uh, difficult time when she arrived. Now, those were grievances, patients who were so upset they called in to, to file a grievance. But we see this consistently on a regular basis in our survey results. We saw some slides earlier and feedback from James around press gaining results. Here are some uh, quick comments that came up in our surveys recently. The experience was so poor, parking was a nightmare. Parking structures always marked full, had to park two blocks away. Care was great. Your parking is the worst. The comment is the parking lot. Just you cannot. It's hard to park. It takes about half an hour or an hour to get a parking space, even outside. I've been late for an appointment because of parking issue. The wait was very long and there wasn't any parking in the garage, so I had to park a few blocks away and walk. Parking is horrendous to add to the frustration. The service are good, but the parking problem is not too arriving on time. Parking is too difficult, too long to walk up to ER from parking lot when you're sick. So as you can see, it's just a consistent theme, issue after issue, and we had to take action. As an organization, we must honor our vision and remain patient and family-centered. We must remove the barriers our patients experience in accessing care. We must support our patients and community and align to our anchor institution aim. We must provide patients access to parking. Now that we've heard our patients' frustrations and requests for assistance, let's review patient parking locations, which were challenging our patients prior to the changes we've implemented. The term legacy you see uh, in the title indicates uh, that this is where the patients were parking before we implemented our uh, enhancement plan. So this is uh, our former state. So we have two parking, we had two parking locations for our patients. One of them is the HCP garage. Uh, it's intended exclusive, exclusively for patient use, 187 spaces, 24-7. Uh, uh, it's an hour, first hour is free, then it goes to um, an hourly parking rate, and ultimately it's a $10 max. Since the pandemic started, uh, the le level two of this parking garage uh, has been occupied by the COVID testing site, and that's about 29 parking spaces taken away from our patients. Uh, when we did our assessment, and I'll go into that, uh, we noticed that Although this is a, a patient parking garage, 60% of the parkers are our employees and only 40% are our patients. The other parking garage that we had for our patients is the K garage. Again, legacy because we, we've made some changes. The K garage is a, a mixed use garage. Uh, the top three levels, as we heard earlier in the grievance that the, the patient's uh, mother filed, the top three garages are dead, levels are dedicated to our patients. Um, once the parking garage becomes full, we start valet parking patient vehicles to maximize the space there. The floors on the bottom levels, zero through two, were dedicated exclusively for our employees. The same rates and uh, everything applied. Similar to the HCP garage, what we see or observed was that 60% of those spaces on the three levels were occupied by our uh, employees. The challenges of our legacy parking plan was this sign that our patients see when they arrive for parking. Lot full, alternate locations available, and alternate location is offsite. The patient parking lots would fill up by around 9 a.m. every morning. Those spaces were occupied by employee vehicles. As we mentioned earlier, uh, since the pandemic started, uh, a certain level, the first level is taken up by the COVID testing site, but to further aggravate our patients, uh, because of COVID visitor restrictions and single points of entry, 
the HCP garage was restricted uh, for patients to enter the facility, although they were able to park there. Hence, patients complaining about walking up the hill. And for those who have mobility issues, quite a bit of a challenge. Now, we did address that issue by providing golf cart service for our, uh, patients to drive them back and forth to the main entrance, but still pretty cumbersome. So what they would observe when they'd arrive and, and the lot's full, they'd have to continue searching for parking at the K garage or then uh, eventually on the street. The problem with street parking, obviously, is very challenging for patients with mobility issues. So as we conducted our assessment, a quick summary of the two patient garages. We've got the K garage, we've got the HCP garage. Uh, K garage, 222 spaces, HCP 187, 29 taken by COVID testing. So total parking spaces allocated for our patients was 409 spaces. Actual parking spaces, which were available to patients, ended up being about 152. When you start factoring in how many of the spaces were occupied by employee vehicles, there really wasn't much for the patients uh, to uh, find parking. Now, a quick intro into parking management, similar to uh, what you experience in a restaurant, parking um, garages rely on a movement and turnover of vehicles in order to maintain efficiency and provide parking. When you have staff members parking in a location where you're supposed to have a lot of transition, what ends up happening is those cars are parked for eight to 12 hours per day. So our patients are all competing for the few spots that are available. So we've learned about the patient parking lot. What's available to our employees if they're parking in, our, in the patient parking lots, which they're not supposed to be doing, what, where are they supposed to park? So we have several parking garages for our employees. We talked about the K garage earlier. The top three levels are dedicated to employees. The floors zero and two, zero, one and two were dedicated exclusively for our pay, uh, employees. 140 spaces, it's a paid monthly uh, program where employees are, are paying monthly for this service. Um, the challenges with the K garage parking lot was that there's just a lack of spaces. They, we would also receive, our security team, our deputies would receive calls about individuals wandering in an employee uh, parking garage and trying to open doors. And then when we make contact with those folks, they say, oh, I just got lost. My car's on the third floor. So a variety of different reasons. Now, from a safety perspective, the garage did not have any emergency call buttons. The driveway, the entrance was difficult. And uh, most frustrating, I think, for uh, employees is that a lot of patients would arrive who couldn't find parking and take out their frustration on our frontline employees. We also have a, a second garage uh, for our employees, and that's the Vallecito parking lot. 311 spaces, two stories. Uh, valet parking is provided from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Just gonna uh, breeze through this. Uh, we have the third parking location, which is the wings. There's 60 spaces available to our employees. Uh, 55 of those spaces are assigned to HS staff, five spaces to GSA for the weatherproofing project. Um, and then we have the AB wing. This one, it was interesting for me to find out uh, that although we have 27 spaces, this area is not included in AHS's lease from GSA. So these spaces belong to GSA for whatever they deem necessary. And it's primarily for them to utilize for uh, their construction vehicles and uh, renovation projects. I didn't know, so I apologize later. 22 of those 27 spaces I assigned to staff and I advised GSA that uh, we need to retain these spaces. We can't kick our staff out. So we're doing everything possible to maximize space and assign parking. We also have an offsite parking lot that AHS has leased for about 10 years now. There are 99 spaces there. It's about 1.1 miles southwest of uh, the Wilma Chan Highland Hospital campus. There's free parking. We provide a shuttle service every 15 minutes. 
staff registered uh, for the site can move their car uh, to campus for free and free weekends and nights. <clears throat> Operational hours are 4.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Just continuing to breeze through here. Um, and then, so as a summary, we have five um, locations for employee parking. We, we talked about the K Garage, Valacito, the Wings, our one offside lot. So total uh, employee parking space is 637. And below you'll see a little Google Maps of how long it takes to get from campus to the offside lot uh, in a vehicle. It says about four minutes. All right, so we understand what uh, the patients are dealing with. We understand what's available to our employees. So what are you guys doing about it? How are you gonna help our patients? Um, and just to share real quick, our desktop chats, which are a huge success that James and Mark lead, uh, oftentimes I've heard as, as a uh, audience, uh, as an attendee, that our staff say, what are you doing about the employees who are parking in, patient, in the patient parking lot? They're also frustrated with patients not having access to parking. So what we did is uh, we implemented our, our enhancement plan. We separated the two garages. The HCP garage, we've dedicated exclusively to employee monthly parking. The K garage, we dedicated exclusively to patients only. So by making this change, we gained 47 additional parking spaces for our employees. It's a safer and more secure entrance uh, from a safety perspective because there aren't multiple entrances into the building. Only staff can drive in there, patients can enter there. There's no way to walk in there. It's, it's really uh, a major safety uh, improvement and it, it increases our, increase our overall uh, parking space count for employees. For our patients, uh, we dedicated the entire K garage to the patients. Although they lost about 28 spaces, we're protecting and preserving the patient parking lot and to ensure they get all of the spaces that are allocated to them. Hours of operation are 24-7. It's exclusively patient parking and employees are restricted from parking here. In addition to that, uh, we really wanted to treat our patients like VIPs. You know, they deserve the best service uh, that they would get at any other uh, healthcare uh, organization. And that starts with their first step into the facility and that is with valet parking. Something that hasn't been provided before is door-to-door -door valet service for our patients. Upon arrival, they just come up to the valley attendant, give their keys, they could get in for their appointment. This has a multitude of benefits. For one, patients who are coming in who might be late uh, to an appointment can just get in and out. Uh, they receive first-class service from our uh, valet attendants, and it really is a nice feature for our patients. We've, our patients have been raving about the service. Now, I'm not gonna go into every bullet point here of the benefits of the plan, but I'll briefly touch on all of them. Uh, Removing access barriers for our patients really improves patient satisfaction. It also improves uh, operational efficiency. Just thinking about all the appointments where patients are late, patients have missed appointments, or patients haven't returned, uh, we lose uh, quite a bit there from our patients for in a variety of different fashions. So that improves operational uh, efficiency. It's a VIP experience for our patients. Patients with mobility issues no longer need to ride a golf cart. They can just pull up to valet parking, enter the facility. Um, it benefits our employees as well. We gain 47 parking spaces. And it, from a safety perspective, if, if an employee sees someone in, in the employee parking garage that doesn't belong there, it's easy to identify them versus someone who might just be lost. Now we understand that the reason why our patients didn't have parking is there was a large group of employees that were parking there. Now those employees 
are displaced from parking in the patient parking lot. They truly shouldn't have been there in the first place, but we wanted to develop a plan so we can still provide them parking. Parking that's not on the street, but parking that is in a secured location with uh, service to the campus. So we encourage our staff to use our offsite parking lot. Uh, we have complimentary uh, transportation service every 15 minutes from the offside lot to campus, which transports just our employees, nobody else on the bus, and employees can move their vehicles after 5 p.m. Our transition date was in November, November 21st. We started a communication plan, which entailed adding uh, signage at the entrances of the garages, putting flowers on all vehicles, patient vehicles, employee vehicles in the garages that were impacted. We sent memos uh, via normal channels. Um, and then uh, we also sent specific memos to staff who had access to the K garage, notifying them of the changes. What our learnings were is that we probably should have started our communication plan a bit earlier. We should have expanded that to about 90 days to give time uh, for staff to adjust and find alternate parking locations and, and uh, sign up for offsite parking. The Valley parking has been a huge satisfier for our patients. Our patients are extremely grateful for the parking availability, thanking us for what we've done to provide parking to them. But unfortunately, our employees continue to park in the patient parking lots. So from our learnings, we also got quite a bit of feedback from staff. And uh, so I'm just gonna jump into this really quickly, but we received feedback, we took action. We received feedback, we took action. All the feedback um, came from the front lines, from our users, uh, from our internal customers. And uh, I wanna give um, uh, kudos to James, um, uh, Mark and Mark Brown for being really flexible with serving our, our, our employees because the feedback we got from staff was, hey, the shuttle service is taking too long. So we got another shuttle. We have three shuttles that are dedicated just for employees transporting them from offsite to campus. And we went from 15 minutes uh, per rotation to seven to 10 minutes. They stated the offsite lot does not feel safe. Although we haven't had an incident there, um, as long as I've been here and from what I've heard from historically at that site, uh, we assigned a security officer there to track data to see if there are how many incidents are taking place. In the three weeks they've been there, we've had zero incidents. Um, staff stated that they can't move their vehicle to campus after 5 p.m. because of patient care or because they work past 8.30 p.m. We extended our offsite operational hours, extended it to 12.30 a.m. So the offsite lot is open at 4.30 a.m. and closes at 12.30 a.m. with shuttle service running throughout that whole time. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things we did to um, address concerns and support our staff, and uh, that was uh, based on feedback. So what does the future look like? Uh, we're, we're looking at expanding on-campus parking. Our, our patients, our employees really want to park on campus, and, and I can't blame them. Uh, we can, completed an engineering assessment to add additional level, levels to the Vallecito garage. That garage has been there since, I believe, 1965. Uh, so we have a proposal coming in that we will share with leadership on what that cost is going to look like and what the benefits will be. <clears throat> we started valet parking in the HCP garage that wasn't available before to maxi maximize space availability for our employees. Uh, we're adding EV charging stations. We're getting an application for our staff to track the shuttles, kind of like Uber, when you see the car coming, so they can track the, the shuttle bus so they're not waiting outside. And we're continuously exploring alternate offsite lot, offsite parking locations uh, that are feasible for the organization. And um, I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vini. Questions, comments? Uh, where do the physicians park? And the yeah, physician office staff? 
Yeah, so at Highland Hospital, our uh, physicians, based on their contract through AMG, get priority parking. We provide them parking at the location which is most convenient for them. The majority of our physicians park in the Vallecito parking lot. And where do their office staff park? Uh, it's all mixed throughout the campus based on availability. So again, another kudos to um, Mark and, and James. When uh, Before they joined the organization, we had an eight-year wait list for parking here. Staff had been waiting since 2013. Through the initiatives that Mark and James uh, implemented, we're down to about 20 months now. And the wait list has shrunk tremendously. So um, we give parking based on availability. So if somebody leaves the organization, we would reassign that spot in an equitable manner. Uh, Mr. Meany, Taft Bouquet here. I'm going to say that's one of the most comprehensive analyses of parking that I've ever seen, and this has been a problem. This has been a problem for this organization since its inception. So, as with everything, putting maps to the problem helps us to understand the problem. So, I really, really appreciate that. I guess my question is: Have we done an analysis of how many employees we have on campus at at any one given time? And the benefit is there. There's a lot of predictability about this. 0700 shifts. Sometimes people leave at three. Sometimes if they do a 12, they'll leave at seven. What, where has that been put into the calculus of this and, and where's the delta? I'm not expecting an answer right now unless you have one. I'd be pretty impressed. Yeah, no, the, what we do know, uh, Trustee Bouquet, Dr. Bouquet, is that the, our parking challenges are primarily on the day shift. On swing yeah. and nights, we don't have any issues. Yes, and sir. on certain days of the week, due to a variety of different factors, uh, the lot is fuller than than Wednesday. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to give you some anecdotal uh, stuff too, because I'm working clinic and I have patients who I see. Since this parking, uh, one of the problems we had with patients parking in different places was wayfinding, as we know. I think one of the benefits we've had here is it's consistent to tell patients where to park. And, and, and then from there, we can actually go, because sometimes you'll see a patient wandering in the Highland Care, or previously, Legacy, wandering, and they told me parking was over here. They absolutely were in the wrong parking lot because they didn't know which of the parking lots. So I think consistency of message has been helpful for the patient. So again, I applaud your, the, the efforts from everyone here. Uh, this feels very patient-centered. And then uh, now, now, the, now the, the, the trick is making sure our employees feel like they, they've been centered. And we, have, we certainly have great, great opportunities to capitalize on the shift work uh, mentality. Maybe we put out a few more transports at, you know, at 0640 uh, when people are coming for their 700. And then my last comment, I was a little secret shopping this past Sunday. So I drove over to the offsite parking lot and I drove through it and I actually pulled in right there. There were three AHS shuttles just sitting there waiting to transport anybody. There were no cars in that parking lot, quite frankly, because Sunday's pretty good, but it was readily available. And uh, uh, it, it, it's gated and it's nice. I was there during the day, so I didn't see any lights, but uh, there are you know 99 parking spaces there. So again, a great opportunity. So I applaud the efforts and we need to build more parking. Go ahead, James. I just, um, this, is, this is hard because we took something from our staff because we felt like the priority was our patients and helping our patients expedite the door. And that's consistent with our strategic plan, which has patients at the center. That being said, we have to take care of our staff. And I was personally troubled by 
staff um, anecdotal accusations that they were unsafe. In fact, on the chat, somebody said, so you just don't care about the safety of your employees, do you? So um, for the past month, I've been parking in the offside lot. So I, I park there in the morning, and I, you know, I take the shuttle in, and I take the shuttle back in the afternoon, and I will tell you, and I do that probably three days a week, not every single day, but about three days a week, I've never waited more than 10 minutes for a shuttle. And I've never experienced any problems with, and there are people who walk the sidewalk and hang out over there. It's kind of like a neighborhood place. They have a barbecue pit, and they're on public property, so it's not as if it's ours to control. But um, I can appreciate how visually that could be somewhat intimidating, but I've engaged them. They ask they like my car, so they talk to me about my car, but um, I've never had a negative interaction with them. So I appreciate I'm an in of one, but I just wanted this board to know that I'm not going to ask anything of the staff that I'm not prepared to do myself, and I've been parking there for a month, and I've had zero problems. Thank you uh, for that. Very patient-centric. But I'm, I'm going to let uh, Trustee uh, Stendori. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. Hey, um, hey, good presentation. Glad to meet you. Uh, tell me, have you? If we, do we have a census of the employees, you know, that use public transportation? Uh, and what kind of public transportation, uh, and also a heat map of how far the employees come from, just to get a uh, get a gauge. Uh, it, and do the second question: Do we encourage the use of public transportation? I'm sorry if you said all this. You went really fast, and and I was listening, but I was trying to listen. But do we encourage with maybe the uh, passes or some other incentive? For folks to um, use um, 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 public transportation and use the shuttle system, and also, um, have we considered some? And I mean, I'm, I've I've parked there a few times. I mean, the spaces are very tight. I was going to suggest: have we looked at restriping to create a few more spaces? Uh, uh, you know, obviously, the cost of creating a parking spot. Uh, if it's on a podium like that, as I believe is around, you know, if you want to do it, fifty to seventy thousand dollars per spot. So that's prohibitive for the for the the system. But restriping is fairly inexpensive, or or using tandem parking. I'm sorry if I'm asking a lot of things. I'm also going to ask you if you've developed a transportation management demand plan, transportation demand management plan. Uh, and then last question is, do, have we gotten complaints from the neighbors? and or the city. I mean, if we blocked driveways, entrances, or just or just seems like it's too busy for the neighborhood. A lot of questions. I'm going to vote down what I could. Oh, I'm sorry. Just call me. <laughs> I actually know a little bit about this. I'm happy to take this offline with you, sir. Yeah. But if you want, I can answer real quickly, a couple of real quick, real fast carpool. I understand the organization uh, attempted to launch a carpool program in the past. It was unsuccessful. We're revisiting that now and providing incentives for staff who are using carpool. We just are trying to find a way how to manage that. Tandem parking is in use right now uh, at Vallecito, and we're also using it at the HCP garage to maximize space. Transportation, we understand that we have a subset of our employees who use BART, and we have a transportation shuttle uh, that goes back and forth between BART in the Highland campus. I'd love to learn more about some of the information you know, and uh, I'll reach out to you via Mark. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for those good questions, Glenn. Any other comments? 
Mr. Minifan, thank you. That was an excellent uh, presentation and report. And I can't, a change is hard for staff and, uh, you know, um, but being able to be patient centered is so, so key. I've seen folks, you know, park and then on crutches walk down, be coming down the slope. And it's absolutely like we, where are our accountabilities? And so I think making this dedicated and like you said, some of the communication they could have been, but you're, you're, you know, working on that and hopefully hearing from the desktop chat that our own employees are advocating for patients to be having patient parking, um, you know, ease is good to hear. So I hope the headwinds are not too strong and that some of the other uh, scenarios and uh, you know, approaches you're doing will help, but thank you. This is really good. All right, so um, that ends our item, um, the discussion items. Now moving on to our written staff report. So do, these are excellent reports. So um, these are for written purposes only. Was there a board calendar track? That's usually a standing agenda item, but we actually just approved our calendar at the top of the meeting. So, so we're not tracking yeah, it. It's, it's yeah. on there. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wonderful. Okay. It, it just gives us space to talk about anything that we want to. Perfect. Any, um, so I think if, if we, and the, with the staff reports written, we now move into closed session. Okay, I'm going to ask the, our general counsel to announce the purpose of the closed session. Thank you, Chair Banerjee. Uh, the, Board will now go into closed session to consider the items as stated on the agenda. And that should take us about 45 minutes. Hopefully, a little less. Okay. All right. Uh, opening the breakout room. Request of a bio break, Madam Chair. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, we have no public comment. We have, I, I would have, I would have followed, I promise. All right, I'm going to pass the baton over to you. What? Oh, we need to join. Yeah, you need to join there. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, we do, because that's how we get this. Well, yeah, exactly.